0: Welcome back to the Running Wine Mom podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Slinsky, aka The Running Wine Mom. Today, we have a remarkable guest, Gina Mundy, an attorney, bestselling author, wife, and mother of three, specializing in childbirth cases. Gina's unique perspective on childbirth and her proactive approach to helping parents have a safer experience sets her apart. Join us as we explore not only the legal aspects of her work, but also delve into her passion for wine, her personal life, and the wealth of knowledge she shares for her book, A Parent's Guide to a Safer Childbirth. Welcome, Gina.
1: Hey, Samantha. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for our conversation today.
0: Yes, we have so much to talk about, and I think that our the listeners are going to learn so much from you. Um, before we get into the main part of the podcast, uh, to start each episode off, we have our Wine, Wine, and Win of the Week. Uh, this is where we share our favorite wine or drink of the week, and then we W-H-I-N-E about anything
1: that's going wrong
0: and what our win is so grab a glass take a deep breath and let's get started what is your w-i-n-e wine of the week
1: oh definitely uh chloe from italy it's a pinot grigio oh my goodness and they do have (laughs) one as a sauvignon blanc from marlborough new zealand and that is equally as amazing so yeah by far those are my my two go-to wines lately
0: I'm like, I think I've had the Chloe Pito Grigio before and it's really good. Um, it's actually, it's just, I think it's
1: too good because it's so smooth. It goes down yeah. too fast. And then all of a sudden you're like rocked. <laughs> so be careful yeah. if you have a bottle. Be
0: careful.
1: Okay. Easy to drink one on your own. Mm-hmm. I get it.
0: Um, as I was saying earlier, I'm doing dry January. So I have a hydration and a wine glass for uh, today's episode. So um, sadly not drinking wine this month. Maybe once or twice I will, but... <laughs> I tried that.
1: It lasted um two days. <laughs> it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it.
0: So when I was looking up stuff uh, about you, you did mention wine in some of your bios, which I thought was so cool. Um, you shared some of your memorable experiences from different visits. And I saw something that stuck out to me it was you liked Niagara on the lake. And my husband and I have been there before, but I feel like nobody's ever talked about it. I don't know. Like I've never heard about it outside of the fact when we went up there one time, um, Tell us about like any of your favorite wineries or about maybe your visit to Niagara on the lake real quickly.
1: Oh yeah. We were blown away. We had no idea. It's kind of saying we were just gonna go see the waterfall. That's and what then we did. <laughs> me, yeah, right? Me being a huge wino, we get to go see the waterfall and they're like, Hey, you know, there's some wineries over there. And we went and it was absolutely Incredible, there's I mean two sisters, Trius, Mary Neeson, Wayne Gretzky has his winery yeah. out there, yeah, that one
0: was really cool,
1: yeah, um, there's the one from Italy. I'm drawing a blank uh room looking thing it was it was amazing, it's like a castle, um but yeah, no, we stumbled on it and then fell in love, so I'm in Michigan, so technically that area is only four hours from my house. Wow, that's I know great. right so. <laughs> we can just shoot over there, drink wine for a weekend, you know, get out, get out of the house away from the kids. Yeah. You know, reset, and then, <laughs> you know, smuggle all the wine back. Oh,
0: I couldn't believe I never had heard of it. And even when I was like looking up stuff, cause when we went to go to Niagara Falls and someone said, Oh, check out Niagara on the lake. I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I saw this, that they said we should go. Let's try it. It was just beautiful. And then like the, the houses nearby, I thought were really pretty too by the water. So anybody amazing
1: place and yes when i say it to anybody not every, nobody knows no one's ever been there i'm actually yeah. surprised you've been there yeah i've, the I've never went. met
0: anybody else and when you said uh-huh. when, you, when i was reading i'm like oh my gosh i have to have like talk for a little bit about it just because <laughs> i've never met anybody else that has gone there so what is your whiny of the week
1: um i have two teenage girls 19 and 15. That should just say it all. Um, And, you know, I'm a pretty busy person. And if I could just get them to help me clean the house for once in my life, it would be it'd be such a win. So literally, that's it. You know, I'm just I'm, I'm running hard. And every time I walk by, they're on their phones. And I'm like, Hi, so in Michigan, (laughs) we haven't had school this week because of storms okay so they yeah they just they've just been home know. yeah yes you know in, yeah. in the middle of all the laundry with dishes <laughs> overflowing garbage <laughs> overflowing <laughs> bathrooms a total disaster
0: like help me with something please yeah.
1: <laughs> and well if you, if you say that you know they just like freak it's like, yeah what you know and i'm like oh
0: Well, I teach high school as like in addition, um, so I understand. Sometimes I'll say something to a you know a student. It's the simplest thing. I'll be like, "Hey, can you just go, you know, to do what you're supposed to be doing in this class?" I'm like, "Oh, excuse me. I'm so sorry for interrupting your time here. But like, we have stuff to do." So, what is your win of the week? My win.
1: Oh. Actually, it's kind of along the same line. So I was yelling at the girls yesterday, <laughs> you know, all irritated. Like, are you serious? <laughs> and then literally the wind came in because my nine-year-old, my son, you know, we, we don't make him do the hard work stuff. He's, I hear some rattling in the kitchen. I'm like, is someone actually doing the dishes? Because I didn't ask anyone to do the dishes. And I walked down, and he was actually just finishing them and shutting oh. the dishwasher. And then he looks at me, and he's like, um, where do I put the towels on the couch? So then he he's like, you should meet to fold them. And I'm like, sure. So he's like, he's heard me how frustrated I am. Cause I do tell the girls, I'm like, listen guys, I'm running like really hard right now. If you yeah. could just help me. You know, that would be great. So, you know, he, you know, he let the dog out today, like eight times, Aww. you know, he was home. So the dog had no accidents in the house. And so, so him funny. stepping up by, you know, <laughs> for me yelling at the girls, I'm like, that's a win.
0: Yeah. I uh, that's definitely a win I feel like uh, for sure I feel and as I was saying my family dynamic is actually really similar similar to yours with my sister and I and my brother being 10 years younger and I feel like he's like the calm one of of all of us like (laughs) always like fell in line did everything um before my parents even asked so maybe it's like a boy versus a girl thing I don't know
1: (laughs) my favorite thing to him is like Liam you are perfect actually the girls get upset yeah but I'm like, how oh,
0: how can you not say that to him? Look what oh my doing? gosh, it's we we always say, my brother, he doesn't walk, he floats. he's like the... <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, there has to be something with that family dynamic because that is so he he pretty much does in all yeah. right, yeah, that's interesting. He sees
0: all the mistakes that the older ones make, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> That's that's the only thing I can think of. Um, so I'd like to ask my, all of my guests, what is one struggle you've overcome leading to where you are now? And what are you most proud of in life?
1: Well, Proud of in Life is definitely my book. So as yeah. you mentioned uh, in the intro, I authored a book called A Parent's Guide to a Safer Childbirth. Um, and that is definitely one of the biggest things I'm proud of because it's based on my 20 years of experience as a childbirth attorney. So I do I do know that it will help parents have a healthy baby because you know, just so your audience understands, in a childbirth case, it's when something goes wrong during labor and delivery. So babies are not born healthy, and a lot of times the babies pass away during birth, and then in some cases, mom passes away. So you know, my professional career has always been extremely difficult. Um, But I've seen these reoccurring mistakes, reoccurring issues. So I think getting my book out there and letting parents understand, you know, what they what they are, um, you know, really help them have a healthy baby. So that by far the proud thing. And then the struggle, the struggle, my struggle has always been my work life, parent, wife balance by far. I've always struggled with that. Um, it's probably why my kids have a 10-year gap from youngest to oldest. Just, you know, oh, rocking at the law firm. Great. But it's time to have another kick. And I have another kid. I what's going to happen. I'm up for promotion for partner. You know, all that crap. But then you're like, okay, life's short. Uh, the other one's like almost six. I better have another baby. You know, all of that stuff has always been a struggle. Um, So, that's, yeah. yeah, that's definitely it.
0: And it's so interesting. I, I was having a conversation and not to get like, oh, men don't have to worry about this. But it is something you just said that I'm up for promotion is it time to have another baby. These are all things that women deal with in their career and trying to further their career that it's something that men don't even it's not even on their radar. Yeah, if my wife has another baby, that's fine. But like, not that it doesn't affect them, but it doesn't affect them in the same way. And Hopefully one day something will change with that outlook, but I don't think, I think so. Oh many dude, hundred percent.
1: Like I know. make dinner every night. I'm the grocery yeah. shopper. I have to clean the house. Well, you know, in between the house cleaner, but yeah, no, he, I think he just works. Like that's it. <laughs> and, like you may see the kids on like playtime. He plays like Roblox or something with Liam a lot or oh, if it's warm in Michigan, he's out playing football, but I'm pretty sure that it's like sports or work. <laughs> and then I'm here yeah. in the background you know just scrubbing everything and trying to make it happen
0: I get that was one thing um before my husband and I moved in because we both grew up with moms who were stay-at-home moms and so our moms did everything uh, anything oh. and everything and very much to the extreme and you know I said like I can't do that I don't <laughs> know I, I will be working and i am I'm always like on the move too like with I was coaching so much and you know I said if you like you have to really pull your weight too so i think he does a really good job thankfully with that and i don't know if it has anything to do with that conversation from the beginning but i know so many people struggle with it and they're like wait why does your husband do like this and that and i'm like i don't know i i had the conversation before we moved in because i was like i can't live a life like that or i will crumble um so I'm very lucky in that sense. Yeah, uh-huh. you are
1: lucky because I'm like, wait a minute. We've had the conversation many, many times over <laughs> 20, 21 years, and it's the same conversation and it's still the same. Yeah. So good for you. Yeah. Your husband currently, yeah. I like it. He
0: he does. I think that's, that's something very good about him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so thing with the running wine, mom, I always like to start off with some fitness. So what's your favorite way to stay active?
1: Uh, orange theory. Do you guys, don't yeah. know if you have one out in Philly. Yeah, yeah. I've been a member for four and a half years. I'm one of those crazy people who get there early for the tread card. Yeah. Um, but fitness for me is like mental. Yes. There's mm-hmm. the physical part that follows, which is awesome. Um, you know, I'm 48. Well, I'm 48 on Saturday. But I'm just going to Happy early birthday. <laughs> um, but I'm telling you, I'm in better shape than I ever have been. So, um, orange theory is the best, but yeah, I, mentally, if I don't work out or if I'm not working out, I'm really cranky.
0: I feel you on that. I'm the same exact way with it. And people don't, people, I feel like they're like, well, I don't want to go work out. I want to sleep in the extra hour. I just feel like the, the, the mental positivity that your body feels after mm-hmm. your workout. So outweighs that sleeping in for 20 minutes. And I'm like, I wish people could just, people could just like understand that. <laughs>
1: Oh, it's huge. I can't I would not be as productive. Yeah, I would not. But I think a lot of people, you know, I had a hard time with this early on in my career, like taking that time for myself. Mm -hmm. I always have been a workout fanatic, because it always kept me grounded, helped me get through those tough times. Um, But yeah, definitely. In my younger career, I literally felt guilty for working out now. I mean, it's a requirement. My family would be like, if I didn't work out, they will be like, please go work out. <laughs> please I'll,
0: go run. I'll be too <laughs> irritable.
1: It's either that or give me some wine.
0: Yeah, you. we are like kindred souls. I swear. <laughs> this is exactly how I am. <laughs> Okay,
1: If I ever had a podcast, I would literally name it the same as yours. (laughs) I'm a huge runner too. Like I'm training for a six minute mile right now.
0: Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I'm more of a long distance runner. I Mm -hmm. loved it. I I have never in my entire life been fast. And that was in my younger years really held me back. But then just because I was scared because I'm like, Oh, I don't have a seven minute mile. I don't even have an eight minute mile. But um, my mom is a big runner and we did Philly has a big run. The Broad Street run is 10 miles. And her and I, right after I graduated college, I was like, should we try it? And we did. And we've done it many years and half marathons, marathons have come from that for me. So, um, wow. I'll never be a six minute mile. (laughs) I am very proud of the opposite. (laughs) Like I don't like
1: going over three miles.
0: Yeah. So, and then even with my kids, I, I push them, uh, in the jogger now. And again, we're very slow, but we do it.
1: <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. It's, it seems like people are one way or the other. I'm more yeah. of that fast bust. And that's probably due to lack of time when I was younger, yeah. just bust it out. You know? <laughs> um, so besides your mental,
0: uh, mindset, is there any other thing that keeps you motivated to keep your fitness routine? Um
1: uh, so as I age. Uh, You know, aging's hard. You hit like 40, as I said, 48. And I'm like, okay, that is two years from 50. Yeah, You know, I'm like, oh my goodness. I will say that I feel a lot younger. The fact that I'm working out all the time, um, you know. Um, uh, and, and for the
0: longevity of ten, fifteen, twenty years from now, that's another thing I think people really lack. And my parents are in their sixties, and they they are very much movers. They they move. They're mm-hmm. hikers and and runners, and they're seeing a lot of their friends. They're like they're senior citizens now. Every, we're all they're like we're all yes. senior citizens, but like they're at, there's like not an opportunity to move backwards once you get there, and they're like, very thankful that in their 20s 30s 40s 50s they stayed active because if not they would be in the same boat i guess so
1: oh dude 100 <laughs> percent. i see some chicks at the gym at orange theory you know you kind of become a community and mm-hmm. like you know friends and they're a little bit older um but usually when they're telling me their age and they've always worked out too by the way but they'll say their age and i i'm always like floored i'm like yeah stop it
0: that's so, awesome. yeah, I
1: think it's definitely almost like an anti-aging thing that no ki- kind of nobody talks about. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about parenthood. Tell us about your family. Uh, so I've been married for 21 years to my husband, James, and we have three kids. Um, the two older daughters, Abigail 19, Eliana is 15. And then I got my, my son, Liam, uh, who's, who's nine um and as I, I explained it's a little wild in the house but then we have two dogs a bunny and a and a fish <laughs> <laughs> the, you know i would i st- i never mentioned the fish but the thing won't die it's like this blue <laughs> bay and it's water is always cloudy we barely feed it you know we've had a, other beta fish that have died and this thing which, i mean we we took it to uh florida we took the fish oh to gosh. florida yeah i'm like it's like part of the family i'm like this is so weird <laughs> taking the fish to florida over Christmas because we drove yeah two bun you know two dogs a bunny and a fish um, <laughs> Oh god. but yeah no you know what we just uh we definitely like to have uh fun so here in michigan we're on a lake so our summers are kind of fun that's all awesome. and hanging out and stuff so we um We were going to
0: actually this summer do a cross country trip with the kids. Things unfortunately had to change. But one of our stops was going to be Michigan. And we looked up a bunch of the lakes because we're close to the shores. So we go to the beach all summer. But we were looking up the lake towns in Michigan. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is probably the same thing, you know, that we're experiencing. But just on a lake instead of (laughs) the shore. Um, I also read that you guys hosted a foreign exchange student at some point. We did. How yeah, that?
1: Angie. Uh, you know, random things seem to happen to us. So, my daughter was um 15 at the time, Abby, who's now 19. Uh, and basically, um she was at school and found that there was a a foreign exchange. They had, they had just started school. It was September. Okay. Um a foreign exchange student wasn't getting along with their host family and needed oh. another host family or they were going to send her back to Thailand. So I'll never forget it. It was a beautiful day. You know, it was end of summer. Fall's going to start. Every, You know, it was just one of those, like, happy, mm-hmm. you know, happy days, seasons changing. She walks up the driveway, and she's like, hey, Mom, there's this foreign exchange student. Uh, you know, can she come live with us? And I'm like, <laughs> sure. And I'm like, why don't you go ask your dad? And yeah. uh, we'll see. We'll put it in, you know, his, his court, fall in his court. And uh, so she, I'll never forget this, because he was in the outside. We have a separate building. And she walks in, and she's like, Hey Dad, there's a foreign exchange student named Angie, and they're gonna send her back to Thailand if uh, she doesn't find a host family. Can she come live with us? And my husband's like, "Sure, go talk to your mom." It was literally that simple. Now hold on, it got a little complex because right after that, my phone's going crazy. There's people. I get like this um, federal investigator. They had to do a whole big federal background check. Mm -hmm. Um, They're sending the people over to search my house. Oh my god! I'm like, you know, and, and of course it's me, right? So I have wine full wine (laughs) bottles is like my decoration on the wall i'm like shit they would take the wine down like what do i you know i didn't know what to do i'm like are they gonna find me unfit because i i decorate my house with wine full bar downstairs you know and ever i'm like you know we don't even have time so all you know then it's kind of like what what did i what, what did we just do yeah. You know, like the next day. And listen, we were completely sober. We weren't even on wine yet. <laughs> this is a sober decision. You know, whatever. Uh, oh, my God. You know, I'm like, the FBI or the federal people, are they going to pull like a hair strand and like yeah. check my hair? You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. But you know what? Everything passed. Everything went through. And Angie ended up being just an absolute blessing to our family that year. Yeah, she, based, she was one of my daughters. Um, this past summer, she actually came back. Oh. Uh to Michigan for a couple of weeks. So that was very special. Um and then right before she left, um we went uh she had gotten a job at Bush Gardens in uh Virginia. Okay. So we yeah. headed over to Bush Gardens kinda for our of, oh. last hurrah, and it was amazing. So it That's, was it was a very cool experience and my kids know all about Thailand now.
0: I love that. What a great uh random, you know, thing to pop into your life. That's really cool. So Along with that, my next question is going to be, what uh, do you think your parenting style is?
1: <laughs> so I used to be pretty hard. I I was so if you have good cop, bad cop, I was the bad cop and my husband was the good cop because I'm that's how I grew up. Very right. strict. Very. I'm a very direct person, you know, and whatnot. Um, but then, you know, as the girls have gotten older in teenage years and whatnot. Um, you know I got sick of being the bad cop so I definitely chilled out a lot Um, me trying to make my husband the bad cop he's still not the bad cop Um, (laughs) yeah he's like he can be a little bit more so now than me Um, but you know I think now I would definitely say parenting style is just more chill more laid back but you know the oldest is 1915 done. Liam is also like we've talked about you know he floats on water, you know, he floats, <laughs> walks on water. Um, You know, so he's a really good kid, so there's no reason to freak out. And then with the teenagers, we're just like, uh,
0: yeah, it's a lot for <laughs> sure. Was,
1: whatever. But <laughs> right, right, you know, do what you want. Luck. Yeah. Good luck, guys. Yeah.
0: Learn on your own, I guess.
1: <laughs> good luck. I've, I've guided you this far. So, yes,
0: exactly. You got to just hope you did the right thing. And that's all you can do mm-hmm. when they're teenagers, I feel like.
1: <laughs> yep. What do you think you were least prepared for in parenthood? Oh, by far the teenagers. I yeah. mean, they—they they, uh, when they go, it's like eleven years old. I mean, it was. And they both. You know what? I feel mm-hmm. bad for Abby, the oldest, because she went through it first, and I did not understand that this is actually semi-normal. Yeah. Uh, and then Ellie, literally, same thing. Eleven years old, and then by thirteen, complete disaster. Um, just everything's changing. Hormones. They cry all the time. Mm-hmm you know, they're always yelling something. They're, you know, constantly upset. Like I was like, oh, oh, you know, and at first we're, we're like, I'm like, stop it. You're ruining tonight. You're ruining the house. The energy in the house is going down, yeah. stop it. you know? And then we've learned now to kind of like how we deal with them. So if they're freaking out or whatever, over a boy or something at school or whatever, we're just like, okay like no but right. we're something right. you no know, teenager in, yeah you know, teenager issue so but yeah t i was not ready i had That's and hard. people would warn me because you know i always had him in cute dresses and i was so proud and they're like you just wait gina and i'm like what Why? Did yeah keep doing that oh yeah we,
0: we already my husband and i my daughter will do something so cute and then My husband will just exhale and he's like, one day she's going to hate me. And I'm not, I don't want it to happen. But like, Mm -hmm. it'll be for like four or five years, maybe six. And then it'll be fine. (laughs) Hopefully. Yeah,
1: Abby is, Abby's 19. She's just getting out of it.
0: Yeah. That's what I, my dad, my dad still talks about us and our teenage. I hope that being a high school teacher that I at least can uh, be a little bit more mentally strong for the meanness that the girls can Mm -hmm. kind of have towards you. I'm used to all these girls, you know, I teach like 350 girls basically through the day and at least a few are mean every day. So I'm just getting resilient till when, till Willow is in her teens, I guess. I think Um, you're going to be
1: a lot better prepared than me.
0: Gosh, I don't know. I I think when it's your own child, it's just like so different than, Mm -hmm. you can't send them back to their parents or like, you know, any of the, (laughs) (laughs) you are the parents. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and what's one piece of advice that you would give other parents?
1: Oh, don't yell. You know what? I was a yeller in my earlier years and it doesn't get them anywhere. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it psychologically screws the kids up. So I would not yell. I'm definitely kind of like we said earlier with the chance. Like I'm definitely more chill. Um, yeah. It's just not worth it to, you know, but they would get emotionally whatever sideways. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> around, and they're putting me emotionally sideways, and then I figured out that that's probably the worst response. Yeah, um, so yeah, I would just, I, you know, and then just I don't know, just not yelling. I don't know. That seemed to be definitely if I yelled, then everything in the house went wrong. Just and like if I Paul. don't yell, you know, I'm just more chill, stay calm. You know, everything everything operates a lot better. Yeah,
0: I think that's great advice because I think a lot of people it's I think, well, now for me, like as with my toddlers, everything's about like gentle parenting, gentle parenting. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that I necessarily like fall into that at all because we're we're pretty strict even though our kids are so little. But the yelling thing I think is something that is huge because if you can just remain calm, Mm -hmm. then their energy like feeds off of yours, which I think is really important. Even if you are like saying like you can't do that, just saying it in like a stricter tone and, and being consistent with it is super important but you can be strict and yeah. not yell which is something that i don't think a lot of people really get i don't know
1: <laughs> no 100 percent. i know exactly what you're talking about yeah so no that's a good point
0: Um, So let's move on to maybe a little bit about you. So your journey involves transitioning from an attorney to a bestselling author. Can you share the driving force behind the shift and what kept you going through any of the challenges that you worked through?
1: Right. So as I talked about earlier, I'm a childbirth attorney. So, you know, those are the cases that when I say baby's not born healthy, just so your audience understands, I mean, they're permanently not healthy. They typically have like a injury to their brain from lack of oxygen. They may have a brachial plexus injury, so their arm will hang in, like, this bent position and, you know, never really grow right. You know, these are, these are serious cases. Um, but my... Uh, uh, the big turning point was my niece um, got pregnant um, with the first baby of our next generation. So Sam is almost like a daughter to me, and so, you know, that was very... Very important. So her childbirth, um, it's actually the introduction to the book, um, ended up being very scary. And, um, you know, you have to read the introduction. It's actually on my website at mm-hmm. GinaMundy.com. I have it up there. Cause I think when people read that story, there's lessons in that story that people can learn from, but it definitely lays out why I wrote the book. And, um, so I basically got a phone call from my sister uh, and we were expecting to hear the good news that Sam had her baby. And instead, it was one of those moments you will never forget where you were. I was mm-hmm. in my kitchen, surrounded by my kids. And I answered the phone, you know, in my typical long, drawn out, hey. And all I hear is my sister screaming.
0: Mm-hmm. The baby
1: crashed. The baby crashed. And I ran out of the house because my kids could, they could hear their Aunt Kelly, uh, which is my sister. And, um, I sat outside on the porch and she's just bawling. Um, we were 1100 miles away from Sam Uh. and we were actually in Florida. Uh, so, you know, there was nothing, I I couldn't get to her. She had actually gone into, you'll see in the story, she'd gone to labor, um, the day before, there's, there's other, a lot of other things that kind of led up to this point. But it, me being so far away, it was, it was just really hard. But anyway, I sat on the porch just listening to my sister cry. And I'm going through her, you know, what had happened during labor. Kind of like, you know, my legal analysis on what I do mm-hmm. with a childbirth case. But then as I listened to my sister cry, I went from legal analysis to human analysis. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is how the families feel. This is, this is like the moment they find out that their baby's not going to be healthy. Let me tell you, it was the worst feeling ever because there is nothing you can do at that point. Mm -hmm. All you can do is hope and pray because, you know, no decision now is going to change the past. So we got news eventually after about 20 minutes that actually the baby was going to be okay. So that was good. Um, And. Well, we we whatever. So, baby was going to be okay. Basically, we'll just leave it at that. And um, I just remember that night. You know, I I had to pour a poor glass of wine after that, obviously. And mm-hmm. uh, I just remember sitting there, just like, wow, that was that was that was changing. That's something that stops you, you know, in your tracks. You know, I'm used to being in the grind all day, mm-hmm. and something like that was like you know, it was a Friday night, took me out of the grind. And I was just like, wow. So and then I popped in my head, I may not be around for the birth of my grand, my grandkids. I have three right. kids. And listen, how my kids will be prepared for childbirth is much different than how a family would traditionally prepare because of what I've seen and what right. I know. So that's kind of what happened is like all of a sudden that line of thinking that went like, wait a minute, Maybe I should be writing this down because what if I'm eleven hundred miles away from, you know, my kids, if they go mm-hmm. into labor. So I started writing it down. And let me tell you, when I went from attorney to author, I mean, the information that came out of my brain, I'm like, thank goodness I'm writing this down, you know, just so because I know it'll help other families have a healthy mm-hmm. baby. Um, Cause I'll tell you the hardest, the hardest part of my job is the day that I have to sit down with these families and go over the day that their baby was born the day they lost yeah. their baby or the day they lost their mom or their wife. It's, I mean, it's, that's it. It's yeah. after those talks, there's no more working for me. You know, it's, right. I, I have to go, it's just too hard. So, um, I just knew I had to get this down for, you know, it's initially my kids, but then I'm like, wait a minute. This is something that could help families all over the world, right? And it has my book sells all over the world right now. For some reason, it's, it's huge in Japan. Um, but I've had Australia, United Kingdom, Canada, you know, popping up just so, you know, it's, um, it's information that I think definitely families are, you know, liking, because uh, I'll tell you in the cases, these families are literally one decision or minutes from a healthy baby. So, having a book yeah. like mine where it can help you make those good decisions so you know you you can have the healthy baby, I think is just huge. so that was my driving force. It was like that personal experience, and then the book took fourteen months to write in thousands of hours, so I have to get up. Every day at 3 a.m., I go to wow. bed between 7 and 8. I typically have to take a 40-minute nap at some point in the afternoon. Um, but when I started writing the book, um, oh, this part's always hard. So I actually cried for the first three months of writing the book because, you know, dealing with these, you know, not these cases and talking with these families, I would basically emotionally like suppress it. You know, mm-hmm. I probably should have done counseling throughout my professional career. And I didn't, but that's okay. Because the book was really like this therapeutic, you know, get everything yeah. out. Cause so you have to go back to the cases. Okay. What can we learn from them? And, you know, and of course, as a mom and a human, I'm like, okay, we're you know, we're I've been doing this for my first case is February, 2003. Wow. So, okay. You know, and the the families, I'm like, what are, what are they doing 20 years later? You know, how are they? Are they okay? Uh, so basically after 3 months of crying I had this clarity this clarity that I knew I I could make a difference a big difference and I used that as like my catalyst to you know keep me going when I had brain fog or when I was tired you know I'm a, I'm still a partner in a law firm so you know if there's you know a big case it's litigation litigation is up and down you know you're really busy and then you're not so mm-hmm. you know it's just it was just trying to stay focused, um, because ultimately I never want another family to have to go through what the families that I have met have been through, um, you know, during childbirth.
0: Yeah. And there's so much to kind of take away from that. And one thing, you know, about you being emotionally attached from your cases is probably something that you obviously didn't think about maybe when you were writing the book. Um, but the other thing that I was thinking is, Before you wrote the book, did you think that there was going to be a pattern, maybe of like doing these specific things will lead to a healthier um, birth experience, or do you think that it was more just like every case? You like, did you see the connections before you wrote the book?
1: Right. Yeah, I know exactly. Yes. So I already knew that they were there were reoccurring issues and facts. So, for instance. This has happened many, many times in my career. Uh, We have to retain expert witnesses to look at a case, to look at the care mom received and to tell us whether they think it was good care or bad care. But, you know, you build relationships with these experts or whatnot. So the expert um, expert would, would call and they would just start talking about a case without telling me the name. And I would be like okay, you have to stop. I don't know what case you're talking about. And, you know, they'd be like, what? How could you not know? And I'm like, because they're like the same issues in the cases. So I don't, I don't know which one you're talking about. They'd have to tell me which one they're talking about. And then, you know, we proceed, but yes, there's common issues, reoccurring mistakes in these cases that people let that I know as a right. childbirth attorney, but you know, there's not that many of us. I mean, most people do not know that my profession exists. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But I've obviously, you know, I've, I've seen those patterns and whatnot. And, you know, it's, it's in my book, Chapter 11.
0: And again, I it's interesting that you say most people don't know that, like, it makes sense that your line of work would exist. But I don't think a lot of like, before I had my kids, I never even thought, hey, maybe I should look to see what an attorney in your area would say for what are the best things and I think writing a book is really just such um, a wonderful piece of knowledge that any like you said anybody can read and prepare for I wish that I had read it before even though thankfully both of my births were very healthy but I'm very like data-driven and that is the way like the facts of stuff not just like oh do this, and maybe this will happen. I want to know the best way to prepare. And I think that's what a lot of moms feel before they have babies, and this will be a great resource for them. Um, Could you you highlight maybe one key lesson from childbirth cases that maybe you think is either the most prevalent or something that you think that you can share with the audience of maybe one that you think is most important for them to kind of prepare for?
1: So the number one fact and reoccurring issue in a baby case is Pitocin. Okay. Pitocin is a drug that is used to induce mom's labor. So Pitocin basically makes the uterus contract and the body follows and then mom will head into labor. Um, but that's, you know, it's a synthetic drug. Your body naturally produces oxytocin. Um so that drug is supposed to kind of mimic what oxytocin would do. You know, oxytocin is, you know, responsible for really jump-starting your labor naturally. So I've seen the Pitocin inductions gone wrong for almost at 21 years now as of this podcast. And then the amount of research I've done on the drug, just talking to experts, talking to you know, delivery teams across the United States um, as part of my job. I've been in probably almost every single health, you know, health system, meeting with delivery teams, hashing out labor and delivery, talking about Pitocin. So, and then I've looked at, you know, all the Pitocin protocols and whatnot. So basically, yes, I'm like, hi, Pitocin is the number one most common fact in a baby case. But here's chapter 14 on how you can have a safe Pitocin induction. Okay. So, you know, while I may identify a problem, um, you know, I definitely solve it and tell you how to have that safe childbirth, because it's not so much, you know, what's going to go wrong. It's how to make sure everything goes right
0: that's a great perspective too and I love that you do the both because there might be so many people you know listening and thinking oh my gosh the Pitocin I can't have it but to have the safer option if you have to have it or you choose to have it is really important for any woman to be able to have that if they're going in
1: yeah and you know I'll tell you so you know, like in my niece's story, Sam, she went into the hospital and there had been concerns about the baby when once she arrived. And she was actually only thirty eight weeks, but they were like, Listen, you're not going home. You can either have a pitocin induction or a C section. Um, but we gotta get the baby out. So no matter what you should prepare for a safe Pitocin induction because Sam did not want anything. Sam did not want anything to do with a Pitocin induction or a C-section. Yeah. But that day, you know, in those minutes, it was like, uh, no. Which do I choose? Yeah. Right. And obviously they had been contacting me and, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, you're, yeah. you're going to get, we're delivering the baby. You sound like you have a great delivery team. Let's do this. Um, but so you do want to be ready, even if you're not planning on it, because that is definitely an option that doctors like, I mean, I sit down with these delivery teams and I'm like, I don't like Pitocin and they're like, Gina, pitocin's fine. You know, um, they are all on board with Pitocin, but how Pitocin is administered is different in the hospitals different hospital systems, different mm-hmm. nurses, different doctors, they all administer it differently. So it's very, very, very important that you have a good idea on how, at least I think it should be administered um, or whatnot, to to make sure you can have that healthy baby. And here's the deal. Your doctor may be like, and nurse may be like, this is what I would do anyway. Perfect. Right. So you had a good doctor and nurse. <laughs> That's great. Now, everybody practiced like that. I wouldn't have baby cases. And I wouldn't have had to write chapter fourteen, but that's you know unfortunately there are diff, you know different doctors, different ways to uh, administer tossem,
0: and so you do talk about um, the importance of a great delivery team. Can you share any insights on how parents can pick the right doctor and hospital for maybe a less stressful delivery?
1: Sure. So I'll start. The doctor is like captain of your delivery team. They head your delivery team. They are ultimately you know responsible for you know making sure your baby comes into this world healthy. So picking the good doctor is, is so important. So basically, I have been analyzing OBGYNs now for a long time, obviously, let's see, again, 21 years. Uh, so I wrote a whole chapter basically on how to pick, I think the chapter is called the good doctor, chapter four, the good doctor, how to pick the good doctor. And I go over you know what I've learned from analyzing OBGYNs. Because ultimately, you know, these are cases that, you know, end up sometimes in front of a jury. And listen, you can't stick a bad doctor in front of a jury. So I had to literally master this good doc. What question should you ask? You know, when I meet a doctor or we're doing a deposition, you know, there's 20 questions that I'm like, boom, 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 I need to know this. And we use those questions then to either give credibility to a doctor in front of a jury, or sometimes we use that information to discredit a doctor in front of a jury. Mm. These are like, I'm like, patients should ask these questions. I asked them my OB, but it's me, right? Again, if my kids ask these questions, yes. And they're not off the wall questions. These are literally questions every single, you know, patient really should know and understand. So, you know, there's stuff like that in there. There's something in, in there called the Yoda imposter. Um, there's a little section on that. And basically I was meeting with a fact witness, um, on a case, she was a nurse. She had left the hospital system right after the delivery at issue. Mm. I mentioned a doctor's name and she referred to that doctor. She goes, Oh, that doctor, well, we call him Yoda. And I looked at her and I'm like, Hmm, did you, did you call him Yoda? Because he looks, he looks like Yoda. Mind you not, I did not think the doctor looked like Yoda. (laughs) But I'm like, there's no way we're talking about the same doctor. And we were. But she had left the hospital system, so she had no idea that the doctor she called Yoda had done some pretty bad things to his Mm -hmm. patients. So I told her to Google the doctor, and uh, she did it sometime after the meeting. I'm sure she was just completely appalled, um, you know, when she saw the news stories and, and the allegations, you know, against against them. So it's important to understand that a good reputation does not, you know, equate to good care. So there's just so many different aspects to picking a good doctor. So chapter four, you know, I can, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I have have a doctor that I was in trial with. We get some of that stuff. We, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting chapter, but then you get to the delivery team. So the delivery team works together And their job is to bring your baby safely into this world. Mm -hmm. When we have a case, a childbirth case, it is the the delivery team's care that is at issue and analyzed more than any other aspect of the case. So picking the right delivery team or having the right delivery team is important. However, delivery team, besides your doctor, you're basically getting the people who are scheduled to work that day. Right. That was going to be my next question. Like, what do you do? Oh, yeah. So... (laughs) listen, I, you know what? I go through it in the cases because same thing. I have to stick my delivery team in front of a jury. I need the dream team delivery team. You know, if I'm going to put them in front of a jury, I can't have a delivery team with a bad apple going in front of a jury. So I say, you know, this is, you want the dream team you want, you know, and then I'm like, second delivery team with a bad apple. But in a case, I can't get rid of my bad apple. My bad apple is in the case. Um, however, I show, you know, the parents, I'm like, this is what you have to do to get rid of your bad apple. Um, you know, that's on your team. And I go, you know, basically through the steps. And then the last, the last delivery team name I called Bush League. <laughs> I don't know, right? I, I just couldn't, I could my husband and I were like, what do you, what do you call you got more than two on the delivery team that you don't like? So here's the deal. Bush league was kind of earlier in my career. Um, I rarely, I don't really see Bush league anymore um, where there's, you know, basically I have a delivery team with two people, two witnesses that I'm like, oh, great. Um, so we don't, I don't really have those anymore, but I, in, in the event that your team is Bush league, I definitely tell you exactly how to handle it. Um, you know, and the chapter four or chapter three is just dedicated to the delivery team. And then just what's important about them, the different players on your team, you should know what they do. You should understand that your doctor is not at the hospital bedside. You know, a lot of people are like, where's my doctor? And I'm like, "No." no, your, your bedside person is the nurse, the resident, a midwife, you know, whoever you have, and they communicate with your doctor. So yep. you know, and your doctor then makes the recommendations, and he's not even there. You know, unless obviously there's certain circumstances where maybe a doctor's working a twelve-hour shift or something. But usually, right. no, they don't just hang out with <laughs> you while you're in labor,
0: so- <laughs> which is kind of what everybody I feel like thinks before you get pregnant, and then you're like, wait, this isn't how it works. It's just like kind of the luck of the draw.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, those two chapters are probably my favorite chapters because they're definitely not what you're going to find in an ordinary pregnancy book.
0: Yeah. Um, another thing that you talk about is a, is a birth plan. Um, so again, when I was pregnant and with both kids, all these, like, you know, mommy Facebook groups are like, Oh, this is my birth plan. It's that I want this music playing and I want this. And like, and it's like all of these kind of like not to be like superficial things, but things that I'm like, I don't. This doesn't have anything to do with like actually having the baby. Uh, but what advice do you have for parents in like and cra- crafting a plan that ensures both their safety and their babies?
1: Oh yeah. So my spin on a delivery, or I call it a labor and delivery plan, LAD mm-hmm. plan. Same thing. Same thing as a birth plan. A little bit different. It's not so much the plan itself. Mm-hmm. it's the act of preparing the plan, um, right. that's going to get you ready for childbirth. So taking the time to prepare a good plan, researching childbirth, re reading things like my book, read other books and then kind of think, okay, what if I'm in this position, what am I going to do? Um, because you know, when you're in labor, it's, you enter like a different state of mind. Being in Mm -hmm. labor is about the only time where being in pain is completely acceptable. Right. So, And if you can't deal with the pain, uh, which most women get epidurals, then, you know, you're medicated or you're just in a bunch of pain. And not only that, you have to physically and mentally focus on delivering the baby that's in your belly. Mm -hmm. So it's important to get ready. I mean, it's definitely one of the biggest lessons from the childbirth cases is getting ready um for you know the birth of your baby um yeah. I talk about I give the analogy in the book where you know I have to do these intense cross examinations of OBGYN doctors the doctors that deliver babies and I mean they'll be hours and hours long so I get ready I get my plan um right before I start the cross examination I look at my plan my my questions my strategy right. I look at it three times, I put it down and it's go time. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to stare at my plan, but I'm ready. So if my doctor throws something at me, you know, I can pivot if I have to, you know, because those are intense. I mean, I'm definitely in a different state of mind when I'm doing a, you know, major cross exam. So it allows me, though, to pivot, stay focused and whatnot. Um, In that chapter, yeah, chapter six, have a plan. you know, I talk about, um, I have people that text me or call me from labor and delivery. and I, this mom, I don't even know who she was. She had been referred to me, like call the childbirth attorney, you know, but her doctor had told her things that really she wasn't ready to hear. Mm-hmm. And that element of surprise, I mean, she was like a deer in the headlights. Yeah. And because of that, she had a really hard time focusing on what the doctor was saying and making a decision. She just starts calling people. And for some odd reason, somebody, you know, someone refers her to me to make, you know, help her, you know, and I, and we talked, we did talk through everything. And after that, she was able to make decisions. Um, But, you know, if she had a plan and she was ready, you know, I think that element of surprise Mm -hmm. would have caught her off guard and she wouldn't have been trying to find a baby lawyer to talk to.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's the last thing that you want to do in your birthing experience is looking a baby of a baby lawyer. Like, that's not,
1: I don't and think nothing has gone wrong. Either <laughs> but nothing, the baby was yeah. still, everybody was still fine. Right. <laughs> so. It's just like,
0: yeah. Uh, note on uh, if ever having more children, right? baby lawyer's phone number on bottom of the plan. <laughs> um, so, in this book, you know, before, especially first time parents not really knowing what they're getting into and having so many fears, how do you think? that you ensured that this book doesn't scare parents or, you know, or mothers from before birth and it gives them an empowerment to have the knowledge.
1: Oh, that is, I love that question. Cause I do, I do think there is an element of people being moms being nervous. So obviously I've had three babies. Um, you know, since I started in this field, I mean, I say words that I probably shouldn't be able to say, you know, probably going back to that emotional suppression stuff. But I learned early on talking to pregnant moms that you, I cannot talk. Like I would probably somebody like you, if you weren't pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I already learned that early on that. I definitely, cause they, you, they shut right down. Right. So I start talking and then they're like, <gasps> you know, boom. Um, So I learned early on that there's definitely a way um, to talk to them. Because as I said, I I do get the phone calls and whatnot during pregnancy and childbirth. Um, But then just to make sure, so I spent a lot of time figuring out how I could write the book where it wasn't scary. Mm -hmm. So again, that's where it comes into play. It's not about what can go wrong, but making sure, you know, you do what you need to do to make, make sure it goes right. Okay. Um, so I had six. So right before it was published, so it was final form. Uh, I had six pregnant beta readers go through my book, and my number one question is: Does this scare you at all? Is this helpful? What do you think? And on, all six of them are like, "No, Gina, this is completely fine. This is not scary at all." So but- I really focused on two, If I said an issue, you know, like pitocin is the number one factor in a baby case. Ah, you know, yeah. oh, no, oh my gosh, you know, can't and, have it. <laughs> no, I yeah, and, and I did this too, because this book also was written for my kids. Um, I that's where sol the, the time spent, the thousands of hours was solving the problem. This is how you make sure it doesn't happen during, you know, the birth of your baby. Right. So no, I was very, very, very cautious, careful, had the beta readers confirm that it's not scary. And then the reviews on amazon have just been amazing you know it's it's like i'm at 300 and something wow Um, it was just published six months ago but um just the family is just being so grateful that they have this information and thanking me and the out the outreach from other people um also confirm you know they're just so appreciative of the information and that you know yeah it's, uh, it's not scary plus i will say all my all my beta readers now have had their baby. Oh everybody everybody did good. So there you go.
0: That's yeah that's even better to have the I know.
1: After we got the last the the last beta reader had her baby, I'm adding that in. I'm like, just so you know, they're all healthy babies. They all
0: listen and they all have the healthy babies, which is great. <laughs> yeah. is there any other questions about the book specifically that I maybe didn't ask?
1: You know, there is there's one. Yeah. So chap so this is how the book is kind of structured. Chapter one are the lessons from the baby cases. Okay. So whether it's the family, it's the, the delivery team, the medical experts, these are what you can learn. And as, you know, these are lessons. And as a lesson, you know, you're trying then to, you know, learn from it so you can prevent it from happening in the future. So that chapter is so important that I actually have it on my website for free. So okay. you can look at it, you can download it, because I know that if families at least know this stuff, they're you're going to be just so much better off. Mm-hmm. It's going to guide you, you know, on what you need to know and learn from these cases. Um, so that chapter again for free at GinaMundy.com. G-I-N-A-M-U-N-D-Y. link all that. I'm sure, it'll be yeah in the show 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 notes. Show notes. Yep. But then what I did, so if a family wants to go deeper into then my thoughts or how I, you know, other um, information about that lesson is that then each subsequent chapter is a lesson. Mm, Okay. So chapter one, families need to prepare for childbirth. Because I can tell you the families in the cases, they are not ready for childbirth. They learn so much more in the aftermath of something going wrong. So, you know, I go through that. So then chapter two is kind of the foundation, your labor and delivery basics. These, This is what I find important about childbirth. So these are probably not, these are not things you're going to learn in a normal pregnancy book. Mm -hmm. These are the things that when I'm evaluating a case or I'm doing a case analysis, if I'm cross-examining an OBGYN, these are the things I know. Um, So, you know, it's important. And then just going down the list. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, no matter what, lesson one is, or chapter one is absolutely important. And then you know anybody who wants to take it a step further, you know, to go through the chapters and learn more, they're you know, yeah, go to Amazon. <laughs> yeah And no. The website will take you to Amazon. <laughs> um, so, in
0: addition to your book on your website, you do have some blog topics, and they have a variety of different um, things that people can also gain great insight from. Is there any particular blog post that you really feel is important and impactful?
1: When you're trying to make a good decision, and this is probably more pregnancy because this is where you're hashing stuff out with your doctor, it is so important to understand that different doctors have different opinions and different management styles. I literally will send a case to two experts, two OBGYN experts, again, the responsible for looking at the care, was this good care, was it bad care, and then I will talk to each expert and one expert will tell me everything was done right. And another one will tell me everything was done wrong. So in this field of you know childbirth, there are so many in pregnancy, there are so many different schools of thought. So you'll have two schools of thought on one issue. Mm-hmm. Even I you know uh, we'll just do VBAC. Some doctors like yeah. VBAC, some don't. Um, so you know if that uh, when I say VBAC, I'm talking about a vaginal birth after C-section. So first baby C-section. Do you have another C-section or do you have a vaginal birth? Um, maybe something like that. So there's different doctors, different opinions. They're going to tell you different things. So it's important if you're talking to a doctor and you're trying to make a decision, don't just get their opinion. Mm-hmm. Ask them, are there two schools of thought? Are there other people in the medical community that would have a different opinion? If so, what are they? So a really good doctor is going to say, okay. Some people believe this. Some people believe this. Based upon my experience with my patients and the way I practice and my education, this is what I think. Mm -hmm. But you should be given, if there's more than one option, you know, you should be, they should tell you both. And also keeping in mind that doctors disagree all the time. Mm -hmm. They just, they disagree on everything. So trust, this is, this is what I do because yeah. we try to, you know, when you're going to get ready for trial, you're like, okay, how did all the doctors disagree with each other? Right. And, you know, it helps discredit them, you know, in front of a jury. Yeah. So that's a huge part of my job is nitpicking their different opinions. But that leads me to my last point. And that is if your doctor has an opinion about something, but you believe something else, whether you've read it, that's how you think. You know, don't your doctor does not speak gospel, mm-hmm. so you could be completely right, and your the way you think or your opinion could easily align with another doctor. Right. So don't let the doctor just shoot you down and be like, no, no, yeah. no. The no. actually last point, I'll be in a deposition with a doctor, and this was I don't do this anymore, but I was so confused when I started in this field because all the doctors had different opinions that during depositions I would say to the doctor. Why do you have this opinion? But this doctor has the complete opposite opinion. Right. The only response I ever could get was the other doctor was crazy. They don't, it's not Mm. like they're like, okay, there's two schools of thought and this and that. No, I'm right. They're wrong. So just keep that in mind when you're talking to a doctor. I think a doctor that gives you you know the two schools of thought. Then their opinion is definitely the one that's going to help you make those you know good decisions.
0: Yeah, and I had uh, selfishly wanted to ask you about VBACs and maybe just talk about it for a minute. So to go back to even my birth, I was a C-section breech baby. Then my mom, in you know the eighties, switched doctors to get a VBAC because her doctor wouldn't oh. do a VBAC with my sister and. So she was able to have a VBAC with my sister and my brother. So fast forward to that, me, um, my daughter was breached. So they had talked to me about doing the um, the flipping of the baby. And my, my mm-hmm. doc- doctor was very much about that. And, you know, my husband and I kind of talked about it. And I said, listen, like, I, I'll just do the C-section because I didn't want to try to flip the baby. And thankfully, I didn't because I had a marginally inserted cord and if no. I could have flipped it, and this is no. something my doctors actually didn't tell me until after I had the baby, my one doctor was like, "Oh, nobody told you you had a marginal marginal insert insert into the placenta, so which anyone who doesn't know that is literally like on the side and if the baby did flip, it could have ruptured, and the placenta you know it could have been a big issue, so thankfully we kind of went with it but then once I had my second, it was such a debate if I should have a VBAC or go back in for a C-section, especially since they were 18 months apart. And I did choose a C-section just because I was, I was scared, I guess, with any information of like all the negatives around having a VBAC or what could happen if they're so close together. And
1: I guess I'd just like to hear your opinion on it. So here's the deal. Your uterus is inside you. Um, and just to back up a little bit, when you're, you know, you're having that C-section, you know, your baby's inside your uterus. So to get the baby out of the uterus, they do the C-section, they open the uterus up, and then they pull the baby up, and then they suture the uterus. Mm-hmm. Okay, the scare with the back is that in the second baby, and I'm sure you know this, but for mm-hmm. your audience... Um, is that during childbirth, that incision from the prior C-section will tear open. If that happens, it's very, very bad for mom and baby. Like life-changing. Right. Bad. Like what I see in my case is bad. Okay? So it's a, that's the risk. Yeah. Here's the deal. Your uterus is inside you. And nobody can see how that uterine or c-section incision uh healed right so and it also takes time to heal so that's why so 18 months yes, yeah i would be on the side of a c-section because you do want that time for that c-section um incision to heal but then i, I do a whole there's a whole story in my book um, it's the baby advocate chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts with a very powerful story of a VBAC. Um, yeah. but bottom line, they cannot, um, they can, no one knows how it heals. Yeah. So and that's really that, Don't let your doctors tell you yeah. this is a great option because it's low risk because for you, it might not be, but you know, how old are you too? As right. we age, we're not going to, you know. Yeah. I was a geriatric well. pregnancy for, I was, <laughs> I think I, I was just 35.
0: So I was technically geriatric in my pregnancy with my son. So, like.
1: oh, okay. So you were old. Yeah. So yeah. you were a little bit older and 18 months. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, listen, as a childbirth attorney, I mean, <laughs> low risk, very yeah. low risk person yeah. because of what I've seen, I would definitely say that was a good um, choice. Yeah. And that's kind of just, that's how I felt. I'm
0: like, listen, if, if this is the least, you know, I don't, I don't need to have a, Vaginal birth that doesn't, it's not something that I've like necessarily needed to have. Like, I just want a healthy baby, and that's kind of where my mindset was. Um, oh my gosh, all right, you gave us so much information. I, this conversation was amazing. Um, as we start to wrap up, what advice or message would you like to leave our listeners with, especially those who are expecting parents, um, or even maybe aspiring authors?
1: Oh, sure, listen. Childbirth and having a baby is such a powerful, life changing moment. And I know everybody wants to go, I'm pregnant, so I'm going to go buy the cute clothes. I'm going to get my nursery ready. What stroller am I going to buy? But I'm telling you, as a childbirth attorney and what I've seen over the years, getting ready for that big day, getting ready to make sure you can enjoy that powerful moment is so important. Um, because again, I mean, you never stop being a parent Mm -hmm. ever. I mean, from the day you hold your first, your precious baby. So just getting ready for it, understanding even things that are in my book, understanding other things that are not in my book, just getting ready for the big day and being able to make those great decisions. So you can enjoy that moment It's just, I, I can't emphasize it, you know, enough. And then in terms of, Author, listen, writing a book was never on my radar ever until that day that I talked about during the podcast where my life kind of stopped. I was out of the, you know, I was out of the grind. I was having this human moment, out of the grind. And, you know, it just all of a sudden, I just, it was like this aha moment where I knew I had information that can help people and help families, you know, have a healthy baby. So, you know if you're if you' ever just kind of like, "Wait a minute, what do I know? yeah, what do, is there something I know that could help? I mean, listen, parenting books I read a bunch of parenting books. <laughs> do you have right. advice to people like me? Write it down if you're you know a really good parent. if there's a job that you've had for a while or if there's something you've learned or if it's how you're teaching kids or raising kids or self help i mean anything but just trying to figure out if there was something you can write down or whatnot. um to kind of put out there, almost to you know help people and make the world a better place. The you know it, it's the I'm telling you the response I've gotten from my book is is almost overwhelming. Um, I mean, again, you can go on Amazon and just look at my Amazon reviews. I mean, these people, I mean, they That's refer so to my brutal. book like it's the Bible. You know, one one of my first reviews was in Gina We Trust, and I'm like, yeah. oh, <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, you know, and but it is the re- so.
0: Like, when I was pregnant, the thing that I was looking for is, like, advice from other moms, essentially. And it's, like, you have Mm -hmm. to try to, like, gather, okay, like, what they said, I don't think I want that. What they said, oh, I like what they say. But to have some hard facts in front of you and just be, like, this is what I I need to prepare. Thank you for answering all the Uh, questions that, you know, everybody needs.
1: Yes. Oh, trust me. It was... But you know, for the other authors, there's something, tell me, tell you, mm-hmm. you'll find your calling. You don't even have to be looking, but it'll just one day kind of come to you. So I, w- I would definitely recommend it. It's it's a great feeling. And thank you for your kind words.
0: All right. So that's going to bring us to the end of another episode of The Running Why Mom. Thank you again, Gina, so much for sharing a, a wealth of knowledge, uh, your personal experiences, and your unique perspective with us. Listeners, be sure to grab a copy of Gina's book, A Parent's Guide, to a safer childbirth, which I will link in the notes. Um, obviously, for valuable insights to ensure a healthy and safety safe delivery for you and your baby, and prepare as much as you can. Um, and as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it. You can follow me on Instagram at the Running Wine Mom underscore and Gina. Where can listeners find you?
1: Oh, on Instagram at Gina Mundy, and <laughs> obviously my web, my website has. Everything on it. So GinaMundy.com, because right now this is like the, the first episode i mentioned it on um, in this year, 2024. I want to release a course, too,
0: because my That's- book
1: is really on childbirth. So I'm gonna throw some pregnancy stuff in there that I've learned and um, just maybe taking stuff that's in my book to the next level for those yeah. parents who are interested. So, so you gotta helpful. keep, yeah, that'll be all information that you'll be able to you know, find on the website.
0: Wonderful. All right, well, so thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, you are strong, you are capable and you are all amazing. Until next time, keep running, keep sipping and keep embracing the joy of motherhood. Cheers and I will be back next Tuesday.